computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z. Joined as always by Tim, aka Cranges McBasketball. And Tim, we can finally return to our Lakers Exceptionalism ways because possibilities are now endless for this team. Uh, because they're they have none for this new year. So the the page has turned, and 2023 NBA champions confirmed. Uh, how are you feeling today, Tim? I feel better. <laughs> we we won a game recently. It was basically like I don't know. It was like a G League game, uh, <laughs> but it, it's over. We can smile. Frank Vogel smiling again. It's. I remember at the beginning of the year uh, seeing all people being excited, like, oh man, look at Russell Westbrook smiling, look at him having fun with the, like LeBron. This is going to be such a He's so year. happy to be He's in so LA. He's so happy to be at a real franchise, all this stuff. And and now the guys are smiling because like it's finally over and that's kind of why we're smiling as well. So I'm with you. The, the, we can now look instead of, you know, at the we know this can't go anywhere to maybe there's a new coaching. Well, there will be a new coaching staff. Maybe they're really good. Maybe we can pull off a good trade. Maybe we can sign some guys. Like there's so many possibilities. We were just chatting offline about, you know, summer league could be fun this year. Like there's so much to look forward to that we know will be better than what this past year was at the very least. And, you know, maybe, maybe can be even better. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. It was a rough year for the exceptionalism. Um, for the the Lakers brand as a, you know, talking trash. Everyone likes to see this, but you know, I got I got uncles coming out of the woodwork. Their sons fans that are DMing me talking trash, and I definitely didn't hear them in the bubble. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm glad to return to our more optimistic and and honestly, like we both really enjoy this process of, you know, we'll go through you know what's available, what the different paths could be. They'll always come out of like the fucking woods with a machete blazing a path no one thought should be blazed. Like, no, there's trails here. Like, why are you going into the thick? Okay, Polinka, we'll get to that. So I do love the possibility and the, you know, all like putting together different iterations of our fantasy team, so to speak, and and working within the rules and, and the logic of the league. So that's mm-hmm. one of some of my favorite stuff. So I'm excited for that. Obviously, just feel like i'm like ending an abusive relationship you know some kind where it's like i'm no longer forced to watch bad basketball right just because i don't want to pot about the lakers and not watch the games you know i would genuinely turn all these games off of war for all our fans who care what we think about this stuff mm-hmm. and i don't want to you know short them because it sucks yeah they know it sucks i know it sucks but i want to know how it sucks so it feels like you know Turning of the page, like I said, um, today we're going to talk a little bit about what we thought this team could look like. And I know you went back and listened to our bold predictions pod. Um, I could I don't think I could bring myself to um, even just, you know, six, seven months ago. Here, my we were so happy. We were so excited. It was a different time. 
delusion. I think to be fair, after the Westbrook thing, like I think we slowly started talking ourselves into it pod after pod. Mm-hmm. Like I think right away, I think we were a lo- little bit less optimistic. And then obviously the exceptionalism just kind of bubbles up and, you know, starts yeah. to. We, we went from a couple weeks before the trade saying this would be an awful trade. Don't do this. This is a terrible idea. And that was under the premise of like Russ is a really bad fit. But is still really good at a couple things, and it would be really difficult to create a team that sets him up well to succeed, that's realistic, that also fits everything else. We saw that, but then also he dropped off in a lot of areas that he was supposed to be good at, and so it was just terrible. But yeah, like you said, I there was that initial very unhappy period, and then we kind of accepted that this is what this is and there's no pending trade. There's no buddy heels not coming. And how could this work? And I think maybe where we aired was getting too optimistic in thinking what could be done or what could happen or how he could change or more of what could be possible rather than knowing him, knowing the coaches, knowing like knowing the players involved, what will they do? Uh, So we got, a little, I mean, everybody got a bit burnt with that, but, but yeah, we, we talked ourselves into it a bit and it didn't, it didn't work out at all. Well, it we, wasn't definitely, the only thing. we definitely didn't like expect the, uh, the injuries to rear their head again in the same way as last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I do think that there's, there's chance that it would be better next year, even as LeBron ages, but this is always going to happen with LeBron. He was always going to start missing with nagging injuries. This is what happens when you start playing into your late thirties and you've got so many miles on the tires that, you know, it just takes longer to recover and yeah, more little things. And he's sore. So he's going to miss two games. Right. But that's not the entire explanation for the 2022 Lakers. They are poorly fit offensive team and defensive team to be fair, but Mm -hmm. you know, giving Frank Vogel like an imperfect roster for what he wants to do. I think he's a little bit less equipped than other coaches to make that versatility work into the team's favor. He's, he's got a set way. He's got a set system. He's got a set, you know, principles and value system. And we upended the cart for him. So, and I, you know, we've talked about he has his own faults and he, and he was not set up for success. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, you know, ignoring a little bit of like, well, our offense has always been ISO dump the ball, maybe a little pick and roll here and there, but that's, that's their offense. They don't really run late game sets and, and get the ball, you know, left to right across the court with all this body motion and ball movement. It's not, mm-hmm add Russell Westbrook into that and you get even less cutting and less of these things spotting up less space. Anthony Davis's jump shot fell off even a little bit more. And he shot 18% on threes this year. It wasn't just like, it's normally not good. We saw in the bubble, like a crazy streak for him, but it wasn't just, it's normal lack of goodness. It was bad in long stretches of the season. So that, that really hurt. And like you were saying, like, the Lakers' baseline for offensive scheme was not high. This isn't – we're not like the Suns. The Suns last night just came, overcame like a you know 18-point deficit against the Jazz in the fourth quarter, and they ran like 14 set plays in a row <laughs> to Dude, do so. A thousand dribble handoffs. Yeah, it's just like we're going to run – they run like 
I mean, they run like eight plays, but they run the right plays against but the, the personnel fits those and plays perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Lakers yeah. don't. No, and they won't probably, regardless mm-hmm. of coach. As sad as I have to say, because I do think this is kind of a how the LeBron offense wants to run itself is not going to change because of a good X's and O's coach. I just don't see the way he values that. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to go back and watch Cleveland and Miami tape to see. They were know. better sets. Yeah. It, it wasn't but, until the Cleveland, like we have Kevin Love, LeBron and Kyrie. We know like if we can hunt mismatches and attack them, we've got spacing everywhere. We're going to run five out and we're going to be able to like just create good offense. That was yeah. its own simple, but smart, thing and prior to that i wouldn't say that lebron like was part of or driving offenses that like didn't run sets right although he's always been an, an excellent iso scorer and a great passer like that's he he has such that you know that high floor possession to possession because of that but to, to reach the ceiling he you know for himself and others also leverage set plays well and i think that you know, especially as a player like him ages, it would be nice to get him into sets that could have himself set him up for success. But mm-hmm. um, we'll we'll talk that when when we know who the coach is or the rest of the roster is filled out. I do think still though that he's got the ability with Anthony Davis, a good defense and enough shooting to be a, a good jazz band to to bring back an old metaphor we talked about with this team. Um, to, to be improvisational and to just use, you know, smart players, um, spotting up, getting quality looks and continuing to hit fadeaways, step back threes, you know, getting Anthony Davis uh, involved in pick and rolls, all that. You can still see a good enough offense if a team's built around a defense that I, I still think should be the focus around what this team construction this team identity should be but we'll get into that this offseason um i guess before we go all the way into to a in, in memoriam for the season i wanted to mention a couple of quick news things and you can just hit me with whatever stands out to you okay okay uh so this week the lakers waved trevor reza and they promoted quote-unquote wendy and gabriel for the last week or so of the season uh, and gave him a two-year contract with a team option for 2022-23. Replacing Wendell Gabriel's two-way contract is now Mac McClung, who had a really good year um, for the South Bay team. Definitely surpassed what I, I thought he could do. Granted, you know, G League isn't quite the NBA-level athletes that I think McClung really is going to struggle against. But uh, And then <laughs> Lika Palooza happened where it's the Spider-Man meme come to life, where the fingers are being pointed left and right, um, above, below, you know, at the guy out the door as he's saying like, yeah, sure, blame me for everything as I get fired. I'm Frank Vogel. So is there any of that that stands out? Is this just kind of doing your best to set the team up for next year and try to kind of set this, this disaster behind us? I guess it was to be expected that once it's over, we'd start to hear the stories and there may be stories we haven't even heard yet. I I always try to think about like, why are we hearing what we're hearing? Who is it coming from and why would they be doing it? 
some, I know at least from the LA Times article, they had like 20 different sources. So I don't think it was like one person trying to, you know, create an entire narrative. There was, there was probably a degree of checking with the various people involved to like confirm it wasn't just like, you know, Vogel's making up stories to make himself look better or things like that. But I don't know. I, with, with each of them, there was the players involved not, not looking great. It didn't, there was no good process. There was, I'd say, misalignment in a lot of ways, whether it be with coaching staff and players on how the players should play or front office and coaching staff or front office and players on trades. Like there's never – successful organizations need strategic direction and they need alignment and they need buy-in to just have everyone be them best sel- their best selves. And the Lakers very, very clearly at, at all levels do not have that. And they're constantly working against each other and finger pointing. And it's not a great situation. And it's the type of situation that like if you remove Russ and you remove Vogel, we probably still have a lot of that those same players with those same tendencies, uh, not players on the court, but just people in general involved in the situation still in those positions. So it, it, it's concerning to me. A lot of the stories like make sense. <laughs> They're not necessarily surprising, uh, which I think makes them hit a little bit harder. Cause it's all stuff like, like you're like, yeah, I can see Russell Westbrook doing that. Or like, Oh yeah, I can see Vogel saying that. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's just disappointing. What what did you take away? Because there was a lot that we heard. I have I missed specific things. I don't know if there are specific quotes that stood out to you, but there was just a, a bunch of not great stuff that doesn't, it doesn't look like a team that was going to figure it out and have success. It looked like a dysfunctional group. And we just kept hearing from Vogel, oh, patience, 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 really without the back end starting to look like what we needed the results to look like. Uh, we talked a little before we hopped on just about how, like, I wish I did it started this sooner. Um, especially with, you know, Trevor Rees has been out of the rotation more or less for two months. Um, mm-hmm. Ken Bazemore out of the rotation. And, you know, I'm talking mostly, uh, obviously this rotation, they almost had half as many fucking starting lineups as they did <laughs> games, which is just an absurd thing to consider when you're trying to build a successful basketball team. Yep. Um, at a certain point, you either have, you know, and I know, sure, injuries and COVID season still, but you gotta, you gotta f- find the guys that are doing at least a little bit better than the others, and and give them the opportunity to build on that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just wishing that Ellington, Baysmore, Ariza could have been cycled in and out. And for more G League prospect, you know, Travell and Queen just won G League MVP. The guy who we were interested in for the Lakers Summer League. Yeah, he just won G League MVP. Good for him. Good for him. Um, Bad for us. Yep. And and to the cycling and new guys piece of it, like I'm happy Gabriel got the deal he got. He deserved yeah. that. He's not realistically on like a, a competitor roster. He's not in a, like the rotation playing. He's not on a playoff rotation. In a regular season rotation, maybe he gets five minutes. Uh, Ten minutes at the most. But he played well. He's someone I'd be happy to see stick around next year as an, a later end of the bench kind of guy that can still you know play some spot minutes. He has some potential. He has some upside. I'd love to see them try to develop him and get him to a point where he can play more consistently. But he should have been playing more than that this season because the team was bad. But 
if the team gets to where we want them to be, you know, he'll be a lower impact guy. But getting him on that deal is is still important because it allows the Lakers to have at least one more piece of, you know, they have money on the books that they can move to help facilitate trades. And this was something going back to when buyout season first started, we talked about guys we were interested in that might be able to help the team in different ways. And one of the factors that we brought up was who might be willing to sign like a two-year minimum deal or, or like a one plus one with a team option deal, which is what Gabriel ended up getting where you can bring them on and maybe they help, maybe they don't really help, but they're at least salary that you can try to do something with in, in trades this year or next year. And something that like I wasn't the most on top of, but folks in our Discord community were, was as soon as the team was eliminated from the playoffs and potentially even earlier with the mm-hmm. guys you were mentioning that weren't even in the rotation, but at the very least, you know, once you were eliminated from the playoffs, get rid of all of those guys on expiring deals that aren't playing now anyway, or are playing five, 10 minutes now anyway on games that don't yeah. matter. Bring in other guys, you know, you can bring in guys who don't have jobs right now, pay, you know, give them guaranteed money or give them a team option, give them a shot to play a couple games and be in the organization. And then you can potentially help facilitate more trades. So that's something that I saw. I think it was Keith Smith or somebody on Twitter point out. It was something the discord was talking about. I didn't get out in front of that, but the Gabriel move was good. I wish we had seen a little bit more of it. I don't think it's realistic that every one of those vets would have been gone and replaced with a deal, but right. a couple more potentially could help facilitate a deal. So you don't need to trade, you know, Austin Reeves to make money work in a trade or something like that. Right. No, that's, that's for next season. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry. That's not funny. Don't trade Austin. Don't yeah, touch don't Austin. Um, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't someone we mentioned on our. Uh, we we'll, we'll get to the the bold predictions later, but it's yeah. funny listening to us being excited about the team and like not really even being familiar with or mentioning the guy who ended up having like the fifth highest like wins added on this yeah. roster. He was like tenth in in rookie LeBron. He like stood yeah. out in so many different ways uh, and was such a big piece of the team that didn't you know Stan Johnson wasn't on the team. Gabriel wasn't mm-hmm. on the team. All these guys that like. Now we're like, yeah, I would like to see them on the group, you know, on the roster next year. Didn't even know, didn't, wasn't even on our minds in any way. And there were so many individual players that flopped from what we thought they could potentially be. And some of it was decline. Some of it was situation, but it, it, it was crazy to see like so many guys not pan out. And especially in this season, I think this is like the most players that have played in the C- in NBA season in a long mm-hmm. time because of COVID. You've had just a lot more guys getting NBA shots. And you've seen not just the Lakers, but a lot of teams pick up some of these hidden gems of guys who got a shot because of an exception or a 10-day contract. And they ended up signing, you know, uh, total deals for the rest mm-hmm. of the season. So it's not just Stanley Johnson who that happened with it's you know a handful of guys throughout the league so it's just more film for more guys who are like oh there's something interesting here um that we can maybe work off of we also didn't see the team utilize the two-way contracts and on the parent team at all really um except for gabriel at the end of the season and by that point it was like there's only like 40 days left in the season so they didn't have to worry about wasting those you know, back and forth positions Mm -hmm. for him. So yeah, it's just kind of, I tweeted this out when they did the, the Wendy and Gabriel thing. It's like when you're at work and 
you're really on Reddit, but you have a, a work tab open. Your boss walks by, you know, last couple days, like last 15 minutes of the day. And your boss walks by. Like, no, I'm still working, Jeannie. You see this? <laughs> I when when you might come back. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's up to us. Well, I'll let you know. All right, see you later. <laughs> That's a good so analogy. It, <laughs> it it feels like uh what's the word like uh it's, I think it's a wooden phrase, like activity without uh, what's the what's activity you know without impact. It, without intention or something is just like you're just fucking around out there basically that's a quote from john wooden um he said it just like that mm-hmm. no it's just like i feel like i can see through some of this and maybe it's some of the uh leaks that have come out recently that we can get to here uh or it's kind of i just see the palenka um you know the the sidestepping of the, the the blame and narrative and over the last you know week because he's been in the for lakers front office for like four years now and it's it's been a lot of this mm-hmm. kind of you know maneuvering the narrative and so just to, to get to it there's a couple lakers reports that came out this week there was uh one from ramona in espn talking about how LeBron and, and Anthony Davis, she lists were the driving force behind the Westbrook trade and that they didn't want to basically wait to try and trade for DeRozan because um, he, they would have to do that during free agency. And then they wouldn't be able to trade their pick last year for in that deal, or they would have had to, you know, collaborate with that team, with the Spurs, which was already a hard sell for me to think that Doc, uh, to pop would trade DeRozan to the Lakers. Uh, and then you have the Dan Wojcicki. And this is where you, when you hear leaks and, and I'm thinking about what I said about Westbrook at the last episode, when you have a quote like this, Tim, uh, Frank Vogel talking about wanting everyone to rebound and push the ball up and Russell Westbrook saying, no, no, no. I'm the point guard. Give me that shit and everybody get out of the way. Now, what do you tell me? Is it more likely that, yes, it's a quote from an anonymous Lakers staff member speaking about Russ's mentality during training camp. What's more likely based on the attitudes of one Russell Westbrook that somebody made this story up to get back or put the blame, undo blame on him or Russell Westbrook's an asshole. I mean, I think they're both very possible. (laughs) It certainly fits the character profile that he has painted for himself uh, throughout the season. So it's a very believable story. It is. And that's all I wanted to say, because obviously these are leaks. We do not know what is true, what is not. If you know Russell Westbrook's character profile, just like, everyone else kind of feels it you can write something quote-unquote fake that makes it sound believable and like him mm-hmm. but this sounds right to me it sounds right also by the way uh, according to second spectrum 
Russ brought the ball up the court the sixth most of any player in the NBA, over a thousand times more than LeBron did this year, over like six plus times more than anyone else on the team did. He was the point guard. He was given the ball and everyone else got out of the way. There was no, you know, we, we didn't see as much dynamic transition play with the other wings and bigs on this team that can dribble, getting the ball and dribbling up the court. It was get the ball to Russ and let him do it. He's the point guard. So it happened. We saw it happen. Boy, Um And then, yeah, I don't know if you want to touch on the DeRozan thing. It seemed like, uh, again, it it seems like they're trying to paint this DeRozan possibility as not an option based on timing when I feel like that's a disingenuous argument. We don't know if it could have happened. We, I, I mean, I can certainly believe that DeRozan had interest and LeBron and AD had interest and maybe Rob had interest. I can understand them, you know, not wanting to potentially wait have to figure out if pop was interested in that because maybe they didn't know, or maybe he was on the fence or maybe they thought he would like kind of drag his feet and they assessed that the odds of it being able to happen were low enough that they didn't want to wait and not make the other trades potentially. Like I can understand that point of view. I don't know what actually happened, but it seems it seems like logical enough to me. I don't I thought the rust trade was a bad idea. I like the heel trade more than the rust trade and and those were two that could have happened within the same time frame. Uh but I don't necessarily agree that waiting like if you were to wait on not getting rust, I don't think rust was getting traded anywhere else. Heel ended up not getting traded anywhere else in that time frame. And the pick it was the 22nd pick I don't know what those two teams would have wanted. That pick ended up going to Indiana anyway. So it's hard to say what could have happened. It's not as clean and straightforward as it could have could be, but there's still a possibility that they could have made the same trade later if they waited to try to get DeRozan and then it didn't happen. So it's, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what to make of this. And by the way, Russ Wait, brought up okay. the ball at the court 95% of the possession. She was on the court offensively this year. Disgusting. Um he got his way. Good job. Mm-hmm. Way to lead, Frank. Um, you know what's funny is that, like, I think because of different circumstances outside of the Lakers' control, the trade didn't end up getting consummated until free agency because right. it ended up being put together with, like, Dinwiddie, right? That's true. And- <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, they could have. I mean, they so, okay, going by that, because I, I don't know what I'm thinking. They could have, you know, agreed to something and just not been able to execute it until then. So that's, to me, isn't a legitimate excuse anymore. I guess I, the way it's kind of framed in the article is that while they were preparing for the draft, like the time between that and actual free agency when they could, you know, negotiate with other like they didn't want like that gap just sold them on Westbrook basically hmm. or, or James, you know, LeBron and AD having meetings pushed for it because there was nothing else to do in that exact moment. 
except healed. And then they were like, no, this over that. So, you know, I guess another interesting piece, because AD is, is clutch as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the because in the LA Times article, it said that LeBron was for the Russ thing. AD was much more skeptical, wasn't super into it. I think Ramona's Ramona's report was different. That they, they were the two primary people leading that charge. But with the LA Times article, it was that LeBron was all for it. AD wasn't a big fan. Where does that info come from if not – it's not coming from – like would would Clutch provide that? Would they say, oh, yeah, with LeBron it wasn't AD? Does that – is that in their best interest? If not, it's probably not AD individually saying this, in which case it's it's most likely – it was conveyed to the front office that like AD was skeptical. So let's say you're a hypothetical member of the Lakers front office. Mm-hmm who's in charge of, um, you know, picking players, player development, drafting, signing. And your, your, your name is Pav Relinka. Pav? No, Pav. Pav Relinka. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. Um, and let's say you want to just do your fucking job and, like, everyone to leave you alone. Maybe you'd be like, hey... You know, that LeBron guy, great at basketball. Not so great at doing what I'm doing. That's why you have me. Wouldn't it behoove you to put into the world that he was behind the most disastrous Lakers trade in recent memory? Yeah, I mean, he's trying to he preserve control his job. the narrative. He's trying to preserve his job. This, was, this year was a disaster. Not, nobody's safe. I would say nobody's safe. So if you can finger point and absolve yourself... It could be, you know, a million dollar decision on your end to like save yourself from getting fired potentially. So he certainly has so, the motivation. I mean, there's a motive. Yeah, he's right. got the motive. So I mean, it's not it's not impossible to me. But and like I said before, Rob, as an agent, I feel like knows exactly how narrative can be controlled to your benefit. Mm-hmm. And how to basically manipulate that for, you know, whatever uh, motive, you know, gain that you can get. Yeah, he he had to be aligned for this to happen. Like <laughs> LeBron didn't pick up the phone and start calling other teams and, and make the trade happen. Like right. Rob is responsible. So you want to make it, it may clear? Not have been it's like he made idea, me do it, but he was convinced yeah. that it was the best move for. Because in the moment, now it under it makes sense for him to be pointing fingers. In the moment. Does it make sense for him to go with what he thinks is the best trade or say, you know, in there, this is really, you know, towards the end of their title window to take a step back and just say, all right, yeah. And then, you know, we're going to go with what I don't think is best because LeBron's interested in it. Mm. I don't know. And Rob does have a, you know, unique relationship with, with Linda Rambis and, and Jeannie. So, you know, there's part of me that wants to say, like, if LeBron went to Jeannie and like Rob's not fucking listening, I told him this is what I wanted, I, you know, and he he's not helping. So it's either me or him. Um, I do feel like Jeannie would pick LeBron, but I, you know, there's this really, really strong loyalty to Rob right now mm-hmm. that 
you know, I don't, I don't completely understand, but it, it is what it is. Um, yeah. I don't know. Speaking of agents, again, agents for Lakers players and Sacramento Kings players were under the impression that that, that trade was happening. Yeah. And we're like absolutely shocked that, it, that the Lakers pivoted in the last moment. Feels bad. Um, I don't know. I don't have much to mention about these leaks. I think we're going to continue to see them. Um, and then it'll kind of, there'll be a kumbaya story where they're like, they're, you know, LeBron's entering his 20th year, his last year under contract with the Lakers. Let's, let's do it big and, you know, get, get 18. And mm-hmm. they're putting their differences aside to align to that, that the mission, the purpose. Right. So until then, we'll talk about all leaks and other scuttlebutt as, as it comes. But for now, let's take a little break and we'll come back and talk about our uh, mistable predictions. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we're back. Tim, again, thank you for listening to our old pod. I don't think I could have the heart for it. So tell us... I remember at least one that I got right because we brought it up somewhat recently that my bold prediction was that Carmelo would score 13 points a game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a bold prediction. I don't know if I mentioned that at the time. It's right around what he got in Portland, I think. Maybe a little bit more. But I did see 
I think kind of the reasoning behind it. So do you remember my excellent argument for me? I, I do remember your excellent argument. You shared that the volume would be there because the half court offense wouldn't be very good, which was spot on. He would be getting hmm. some late clock bailout options, opportunities, and he would also probably be one of the leading guys on the second unit, which all happened. You even put a, right. uh, a guess as to his scoring possessions per game. You said between 11 and 13. He ended up with 12.2. So spot on there. Hmm. And you also shared that he will be taking a lot of threes probably. Uh, he's going to be taking a lot of corner threes. He's going to get high quality shots. And threes should make up a pretty high proportion of his shot diet. Uh, in reality, he ended up with the highest three-point shot quality of his career. And he ended up with the second highest rate of threes as a proportion of his shot. So you in every single facet nailed the reasoning and the result behind Mello averaging 13 or more points per game this year. He's at 13.3 as of right now. So very good job, Tom. You did it. Did I say anything about how much I'd hate it and watching him play defense? Because <laughs> then I would really have been I don't remember. rounded out I don't the trifecta. Um, uh, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take the win. I'll take the win. What was uh, what was one of your bold predictions? So I had among the three that I shared that I thought the defense could be top five. And these were bold. They, these weren't meant to be like, these weren't like, you know, here are all of our locks. They're these not were bold lowercase predictions. predictions? These were bold predictions. That's right. These were bold. <laughs> these were not underlined. These are not italicized. These were bold. And I, I predicted that the Lakers defense would be top five and they ended up being 21st. And the idea was they had a good roster to be able to, if guys were put in the right positions, be a good drop team, a good switch team. And they had a guy in AD that I, I and this was a separate prediction, thought could be defensive player of the year. And in reality, Ariza had a, I mean, he had an ankle injury from the start of the year. And then I, I understand people watching the film last year and being like, ah, he's washed. I watched the film and I didn't come to that same – like he was watched compared to earlier in his career, but he was still effective. He was still good. And the data showed that, the impact, the tracking data, that he was in a tough role, taking on tough matchups, was effective in those matchups, had a high impact. Watched the film. He was rotating really well. That didn't translate over after he got injured. So huge, huge drop off there and a big hit to, in theory, the Lakers potentially being a switch team. Same thing with Bayes. Uh, he basically didn't play like after the beginning of the season. So that is those two guys were two big pieces for if the Lakers were to be a switch team, having some of those wingish kind of guys to help enable that. They didn't have that this year. None did not play. I thought he would be one of the better defensive guards on the team. We saw Russell Westbrook completely drop off a cliff when it comes to his defense. And he's always had like lazy defensive plays. He's never been super active, but he was really bad this year. Uh, we saw Melo play a lot and was not good. He wasn't good in the past, so nothing super surprising there. But the amount of time he played was not conducive to the Lakers achieving this, you know, this goal. We saw THT take a drop off defensively. LeBron dropped off defensively. DeAndre and Dwight were not as good defensively as we were hoping they'd be among centers. They were not high impact guys. And AD was not as impactful as we thought he could be, though. The more mobile version of him that we saw from like late January into February was that guy and looked like that and had that kind of impact. But that wasn't him all year. And 
that version of him was also cut short by injury. So I'm probably missing a couple of guys. Like Ellington's not good. Monk's not good. Like there are other guys that weren't good defenders and continue to not be good defenders, but there were also a number of players that like had really disappointing years and took steps back. So we were nowhere close to achieving this goal. I feel like we, for stretches, were a pretty good switch team. Um, and I obviously I say in stretches that where the team is either healthy or playing the right fucking lineups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do feel like Reeves, LeBron, AD, I guess you have to throw Russ in there and Monk. There's three switchy guys. Maybe you swap in like Johnson. Stanley Johnson yeah. for Monk. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you've got like four switchy guys in Russ. And mm-hmm. kind of, I guess there's frustration with Frank at a lot of levels and he just didn't really believe in the versatility of the defenders to expand their, you know, capabilities because they couldn't get the, the, the base coverages, right. You know what I mean? So they couldn't get further down that chain of possibilities. Yeah. He, and, and that on, that on me for not, you know, looking at what I literally, how dare you, couple years ago in previewing Frank Vogel as a coach, he doesn't want to switch. We did see him switch and we did see him leverage that in the playoffs in the past, but he had never quite had this kind of roster where it made sense for switch to be a base coverage. And Mm -hmm. we saw him really struggle to lean into that all year. Like you said, there were stretches of time. It looks good. And we had lineups that worked with it. We had plenty of lineups that didn't work with it. And it was because Ariza, more either weren't playing or weren't who they were supposed to be. Now Johnson was a big plus to this in kind of replacing only half one of, the of year, those though. in a way. Yeah. Um, but we were still like, it's hard to be a switchy team when you've got Russ not playing well, Mellow's out there, you're throwing like right. Dwight or DeAndre on an island. Like the personnel didn't match being able to do it on high volumes. They didn't have any good wings. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. the roster wasn't constructed well, and also yeah. guys took steps back. And so yeah. know, the roster wasn't there to do it and commit to it. But there were also teams the Lakers would play where like they should be switching because those teams stink against switching. And instead the Lakers are out there playing like drop coverage with, with Carmelo Anthony. Like that also doesn't make sense. So when you have like multiple bad options for how to use your guys, but the team you're playing against is good against one of them and awful against the other, you know, you can go with something that you're less comfortable with knowing that the other team also has no comfort with it. And you kind of net out as a game. And we didn't see them do that. It was very much making decisions based on principles and based on what I think my guys can do and less so what I think the other team or what I know the other team is good at or or bad at attacking. So there was a lot of missed opportunity from my perspective from a game planning and adjustment standpoint. And we saw that. Whenever, whenever I would really dig deep and start scouting teams and say, oh, you know what, this we should do this, we shouldn't do that, the Lakers weren't aligning in many of those situations. Right. So moving on to my next prediction, um, I did not get this one right, but I like the process behind it, and I can see why I thought this at the beginning of the season. This is not as embarrassing to me um, as the, just their general miss on their record, mm-hmm. right? Um, cause I don't know if we did records, but if we had, so. we would have still been 15 wins yeah, off, yeah. you know, um, was LeBron being an all defensive player 
Um, and I guess I, I didn't really listen back just knowing myself, my argument would be Russ enters the fold can take a little bit of the offensive engine pressure off of LeBron, but in, in return, the Lakers defense will be significantly worse, not only because of Russ, but because of other ancillary pieces that aren't there and Russ or sorry, LeBron would be forced basically on a good team to be a secondary rim protector or a second unit rim protector. And we did see that he played the five for long stretches this season. And there was a lot of times against a lot of lineups where it was devastating. Uh, and when he was engaged, which wasn't all, all the time, but his rotations, you know, he obviously knows when to be places if, as long as he has the stamina and doesn't have to carry the load, maybe averages 23 points this season in a season where Russ can average 22 or AD is up at in the, in the mid twenties, 24, 25, 26. Um, and then you have AD and Russ have a lineup and LeBron has a lineup with, you know, Bazemore and Ariza and Monk and, and THT. And there's just these shooting and, and, secondary creation on offense and LeBron can switch and he can be guarding John Morant one position and Rudy Gobert, another possession. We know that's within LeBron's capabilities as a player. It's where that stamina bar is used. Mm -hmm. And I thought for this team, if they were going to be really good, it would be on the back of LeBron in a major defensive role. So I don't hate my reasoning there. And that was your obviously reasoning. going back. You, 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 this it? isn't just you looking back and saying what I swear know. I didn't listen. Yeah, to it. no, you were. It was a stamina bar discussion. It was Russ is here. He'll take yeah. more of the offensive load. LeBron may need to do a little bit more defensively, and he'll have the energy to do that. We've seen him be really good defensively when he wants to be, and due to him needing to do less on offense, he'll have more of an attention span and more not attention span, but more energy to spend and, and will mm-hmm. f- do to that be more effective for larger stretches defensively. So what you were saying just now is it matches up with pretty, pretty well with what you were saying at the time. And I still believe that if, if Russ could have not dropped off the cliff and getting to the rim and finishing at the rim and, um and, and found a better, you know, because you get LeBron turnovers, you get, get out in space, you get moving transition opportunities is what we thought we'd be seeing from this team. So I don't know. I don't know much to add to that. I don't hate my logic though. I was kind of depending on a Russell Westbrook um, non-disaster, which did not happen. Yep. I understand why it didn't work out. Um, I also think the process from you at the time made sense. Another one of mine that. I thought made sense was that AD could be defensive player of the year. And the thought process behind this was that him moving from more of a helper role at the time, it was our perimeter big role, which is now just the helper role. We've combined two of our roles at people index. He had been doing that and was very good at that. We'd seen him in the playoff run during the finals run, uh, be more of a mobile big, play more center. And it really unlocked his impact. And we saw like in the regular season, we've seen year after year where his defensive impact is good to very good, but it wasn't elite because we weren't fully leaning into his versatility. 
and weren't fully leaning into his ability to switch. And I figured, okay, this is a roster set up with guys to switch a lot more, putting him in a lot more of those positions. And he can be good in drop and he can be great in switching. And due to that, you'd see, you know, this elite defensive impact. And we've seen other guys, like we've seen Al Horford basically do that this year. Um, with AD, it wasn't quite there. And, and the other piece of this was the the landscape of the other options sets up well for AD. Like we thought Embiid was going to have to take a step back because Simmons probably wasn't going to be playing and that should hurt both of their mm-hmm. cases. We figured Giannis wouldn't be set up the best to succeed. We figured Gobert would be taking a step back. And we were like, you know, this is, you know, ripe for the taking. And we're kind of seeing that. Like, the defensive player of the year discussion right now is way more wide open. There's less of a clear and obvious guy than there has been in years past. You, you'll talk to people who say Gobert. You'll talk to people who say Bam. You'll talk to people who say Marcus Smart. There are a lot of different options that all have – you know, their own merit. And that's a different discussion. We could talk about at a different time. But my point is, if AD did have a solid season where he played a lot, wasn't injured, and was playing that style, the Lakers could absolutely get that narrative engine running in the media covering the Lakers as much as they are. If they were succeeding and they were doing so with him in that role, he'd be in a, a leading position right now. So I liked the process. We didn't see the result because... Again, some of those guys that would enable the switching went down. The team didn't switch as much as they should. AD himself was missing a ton of games. Like even if he was great, with how much time he missed, he he wasn't going to be defensive player of the year. Um, mm-hmm. And the version of him that started the season that was more bulked up wasn't the same dynamic defensive player that we ended up seeing later in the year when he appeared to be more mobile, more fluid was flying around the court much more like the guy that we had seen during that that bubble title run. So we did see a the right version of him, but only short for like a month or less. And so this one didn't happen, wasn't going to happen, but I don't necessarily hate the thought process behind it. No, and it's, yeah, it's a similar logic to what my LeBron argument was. Um, obviously, I wasn't expecting LeBron to win defensive player of the year because he's not that mm-hmm. level of defender, um, but AD is. And it's, I swear, man, like when he figures out you can do some of these crazy athletic uh, inhuman things, but there's like a 15% chance you're going to get injured on some of these I would rather him be an 85% defensive player that stays on the court, you know, 80% more. I think that's where I am too. When when you look at the rate at which he's getting injured and how he's getting injured, a lot of it's just, you know, some of it's luck. It's fluky, sure. It, it's not yeah, some it's, chronic, like one part of his body that's just breaking down. It's not like a Kawhi situation. But at the mm-hmm. same time, comparing him with a guy like Nikola Jokic, who's super durable, always playing, he isn't flying around. He's like very within himself. He's very, he's not making these dynamic plays. He's where he's supposed to be. He does a good job, but he's not leveraging athleticism and he's not jumping and leaping around and falling all over the place and putting himself in a position where he could be landing on other people's feet. He's he's jumping a little bit and he's he's more grounded. <laughs> and and I'm not saying I want AD to be Nikola Jokic, especially not like defensively per se, but it's a very I think he's on the other end of the spectrum to AD where we see AD when he's making those great highlight plays. 
every single one of them is putting him at some degree of risk of hurting himself. So I, through this experience, I think I, I still agree that the best version of him could be that mobile big playing center, but the best way to get to that when it matters in the playoffs is to not, not ask him to do as much of that. And I think get back to a point where if possible, you're running more drop coverage and you're, you know, not asking him to switch a ton and maybe you can still play center, but I don't know, trying to tone that back just a little bit. I think you'd have to find more concrete ways schematically to enable him a little less, or maybe it just comes down to him playing power mm-hmm. forward more. But if he's shooting 18% on threes and you don't have, it, it, having a stretch five, I think really helps. Cause if you can have a stretch five that can play drop, AD can play power forward he's in a an easier place to be in, not cruise control, but hold back on some of those highlight plays, save them for the playoffs, and then go be that monster. And then we as Laker fans just have to understand that, understand with who he is, it's best for us if we push for the finals rather than pushing for defensive player of the year and understand that his impact right. won't be there and he's not going to be part of the defensive player of the year narrative if he's playing the way that helps preserve him best. Well, can, you know, still being a top one or two or three helper in the NBA. So I don't know. Yeah. On a possession to possession basis, he is a defensive player of the year player, but I think you're talking about kind of the, the grind of needing him to anchor a defense like a Rudy Gobert does. Um, And Rudy Gobert, you know, I was looking at your tweets from him the other week, which was cracking me up. It's just like, this guy doesn't play offense. He's, he doesn't post up mismatches. Yeah. He's just like, he's just out there to defend the rim. Yeah. He finishes dunks. And he does it incredibly. He doesn't shoot all that well around the rim on like non dunks. He just, he finishes dump offs. He finishes rolls, doesn't post up. That's it. <laughs> he's had screens and he rolls. That's, that's all he's asked to do. He's not leaping around. He's not diving around. He doesn't have the ball in his hands. Defensively, he anchors the defense, but mostly just around the rim, mostly jumping straight up and looking to block shots or looking to deter shots. It's a lot less of the like crazy recovery plays we see from AD. Right. Um, So moving on to my next one, um, (laughs) I thought that Rajon Rondo would have 1000 minutes played on this team. Uh, Now, before I answer and set up what I was thinking with this, Tim, do you know how many players played for the Lakers this season? Got minutes? A lot. Maybe 18? Give me a guess. More? 20? Higher. 20? Oh, God. 23. 24 players played minutes for the Los Angeles Lakers this season. Now, granted, the last, or the, you know, 19 through 24 all had fewer than 40 minutes. Okay. Um, but uh, I'll just tell you, and this will this will be the list top to bottom, but interesting things that stand out to me. Second in minutes on the team, Malik Monk, uh, behind Russell Westbrook. Westbrook has 500 more minutes than the next player. Um, Avery Bradley, sixth on the team with two more minutes played, 1,400 minutes than Anthony Davis, 1,404. Um, and Austin Reeves, eighth. Stanley Johnson, been on the team for only 47 games, uh, is in ninth. <laughs> And then you get to the rotating blend of some nights, sure, and some nights, no. Um, 
After this, you got, you know, Ellington, Bazemore, Ariza, DJ. Mello is fourth. <laughs> That's too high. Wait, so where, where are LeBron <laughs> and AD? You said AD was sixth? AD was seventh okay. with 14, uh, sorry, 1,370. No, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong one. 1,404 right, minutes so for Anthony Davis, LeBron seventh place. Third with 2,084. Okay. That's not a good recipe. It's not great. Um, so, you know, also have guys like Isaiah Thomas, Derek Collison, <laughs> Mason Jones, Shondi Brown, Jay Huff, Siku Demboya, and Jamario Jones. Okay. Rondo played 289 so, minutes for the Lakers. Rondo played 289 minutes for the Lakers in 18 games. That is just under 22% of the games. And Tim... If you it's over a thousand extrapolate minutes. that out to 82 yep. game season, over a, minutes. over a thousand minutes, partial credit, <laughs> partial credit. I'm giving it to myself mainly because that first, you know, month and a half of the season, those 18 games Rondo played more than even I thought. Yeah. And you're like, wow, we're doing Rondo and Westbrook again. Remember that? Yep. Oh, we're doing it again. And still, and again, you know, when you can play Rajon Rondo as your small forward, <laughs> you know, you just have to. I partially thought that this would be a possibility. If still, I thought it would be bold for him to get a thousand minutes. Um, it's not a good thing. If it happens, it's bad. <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. Exactly. But I do. I did believe that. There's this narrative and kind of idea around him and the team that he gets guys where they want him to be. Uh, And on a team with Frank Vogel, where there's not a lot of offensive organization, you know, it for better or worse flows through Rondo is a simplifier for them. And they trust him despite his, you know, dwindling athleticism and, you know, questionable jump shot. He it's, it's, it's just clear as day. Like, obviously I didn't expect none to miss the whole season, but I think by this point he had been missing preseason games. So I was like, sure, let's Rondo is going to get more minutes than you think. He's the backup one. They don't have another backup one. It's not monk. Um, it was just none. That was the only other guy. Yeah. I, the process was there. You, you mentioned that it might be due to injuries and you were thinking more Ross. It ended up being not instead. Or it right. could happen due to the Lakers, you know, just rotating guys in and out for maintenance, which we never saw. Because uh, they were just <laughs> never healthy to, like, be healthy for long enough that they need maintenance. Except, I guess, except for, like, right. LeBron, like, later in the year. Right. Uh, so, you know, yeah. partial credit. So, you're, uh, what, you're at one and a half here out of three? It's yeah. Adam over two so far. Yeah. Did you have another one or did, I thought you listed all the three. No, you I have, have another one. one? I have the worst one. All uh, right. So. Oh, give me, give so me. My bold prediction that, that y'all may remember was that Kent Bazemore would be fourth in minutes. Who? Kent Bazemore. Yeah. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, Kenny Bays. That's right. Yeah. Right. We figured, well, I figured he might be fourth in minutes. And my thought process was. There are no wings. The a reason THT started the season not healthy. So I was like, he'll get a nice head start. I figured looking at the big man rotation, Dwight and DeAndre aren't going to play all that much. 
I thought from a guard standpoint, there were so many of them that my reasoning was, and you can go back and listen, they're going to take a while to really sort this out and figure out who should be playing consistently. So if he can get a nice head start on everybody and then just consistently play because he's one of the few guys on the roster that can be a wing, you know, Ariz is going to be playing up a bit. It makes sense. And, And he's the type of guy that... We know Frank Vogel likes, and we heard it was like a couple of days after media day we did that podcast. Vogel had mentioned, he shouted out the three and D capability as being something they were looking for. And Baysmore was coming off the season where he had great, you know, a great three-point shooting year, great three-point shot making. And you know, we know he fouls a lot, but deep from a defensive impact standpoint, the impact is there. And you can take on some tough matchups. He's got good perimeter defense. Like there was thought process in reality. And, and then also keep in mind, he and I think I mentioned this, he's not someone you want doing anything more than catching and shooting threes. Can't dribble, don't run running, like handoffs, ball screens, like not, you know, not, not the most trustworthy dude other than to like shoot threes and play defense. We saw him play a high, high proportion of his minutes this season without LeBron and also with no, you know, offensive scheme. And... You know, when he comes in late in the game in a garbage time lineup and he's like the second option in a lineup, it's going to look like trash because he's making stuff happen and that's not good. So we, we saw a lot of him not set up well to succeed. In the 200 minutes we saw him play with LeBron, he shot 45% on his threes in those minutes. He had an expected effective field goal percentage of like 60%. Um, and on the season, he had a C minus three-point shot making. He was right around average. He was going to give you in return what you got from him from a shot quality standpoint. But his three-point shot quality was seventh on the team because he wasn't playing. In, he did. He wasn't playing during the stretch that the Lakers were running good scheme, and he also wasn't playing with LeBron much. When he played with LeBron, it worked out really well for him. Um, defensively, he had an A minus D. LeBron, one of the highest on the team, the highest like the guards on the team. He had one of the highest on-ball defensive ratings of any player in the league this year at B-Ball Index and did it on high difficulty. So, like, metrics alone, not looking at the film, I'm like, why Why didn't this guy play more? He was He's doing the things he was supposed to do. I understand that he doesn't fit – like, you don't want him to do any more than what he's capable of. And when you don't have scheme and you don't have LeBron playing, that's not a great fit. But he should have played more as just an off-ball – don't have to worry about it. Can just catch and shoot and hit open threes. I would have liked to see more of that. This I don't understand why he didn't play more. I, I get that it doesn't look great at times, but the results were there, and 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 he had done it in the past for other teams. So like I, this was one that I understand why he didn't up, end up fourth in minutes, but he still definitely should have played more this season. To me, he started fourteen games mm-hmm. and played in thirty nine games. I just mentioned Rondo played in 18 games. Rondo has half as many minutes in half the time. So he played twice as much as Rondo did for context. The guy who got fucking traded, you know, three months ago, four months ago. Um, So, yeah, I look, I'm, I'm in agreement with you that Bazemore should have played more. I don't think he should have been fourth in minutes, but he got market corrected by Avery Bradley. And I don't think that Bradley was on the team when we potted that time. Bradley also ended up being like a point guard. Like he ended up playing the point of attack. 
he wasn't it wasn't like the Lakers like Stan Johnson I think took away from from Bazemore's minutes I think Reeves, but Baze was already out of the rotation I, but I, I, Reeves, I think maybe. Reeves, Reeves and Johnson were the two guys that are direct competition but they were playing Bradley, Bradley competition for him as they much. were playing like Bradley Russ and Monk sometimes they were playing really small but then guys they were playing like Russ at the three but but I, I'm not saying yeah, it's yeah, good. No, I'm point. just like, saying like more guard three man guard lineups than right, we anticipated right. slash than Vogel has done in the past. Right, and I think that's part of it. It's you know Bradley being maybe more of a, a trusted guy for Frank, and whatever behind the scenes, Bayes wasn't working with you know. That's my guess. He had some some loud mistakes, <laughs> which. You know what I mean? When it's loud to us, imagine what it's like day after day, up close and personal. Yeah. yeah. My guess is something either personality-wise or like in practice. You yeah. Know, you didn't really practice all that much, but like not not displaying that chop wood carry water mentality that he likes to tweet about is my my best guess. If they didn't think he was prepared yeah. or capable. Because yeah. on the court when he did actually play – I pretty decent proportion of his minutes in like garbage time or like just nothing really happening. Not the best situation for him to perform. Big picture, the results were still decent. So for a team that had either guys that could shoot threes or guys that could defend, he was one of the few guys that like in theory could do both. And in reality did both. So yeah, I don't know. He's kind of like this season, like last year, Gasol and like Wes Matthews were two guys that like, I kind of get it, but at the same time, I, I think we should have seen more from them. He, I think, was this year's version of that for me. Gotcha. Um, well, I don't remember any blocks. Any other ones? Oh, yes, that's right. I projected that AD would average three blocks a game. Um, I think it. I don't want to go over it again. I think it mostly ties into your AD points. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the lack of defense on the roster, him having to like LeBron when LeBron's running a second unit, be the the defender, yep. the main help and cleaner upper. Mm-hmm. That would be AD around a rest. In getting back to the leaks earlier in the, the reports, we heard in one of those, I forget which one, that the Lakers coaching staff throughout the season was joking around about how they'll their big men will lead the league in blocks just because their perimeter defense is so bad. And he would be one of those major beneficiaries. So, like, I, I get the thought process. And wow, they're delusional like me. <laughs> I could coach the Lakers. For a portion of the season, we saw it happen, though. We, we saw him start the year again, same kind of deal as what we were talking about earlier when he was, you know, not as mobile. It wasn't there. Slow start. Once yeah. he left and came back late January into February, it was more fluid and mobile. He was, he got to the point where, like, over a 10 game stretch, he was averaging 3.33 blocks per game. Um, that was on okay. February 16th and then he was out again, like right after that. So right, right when he kind of peaked and we saw him really clicking on all cylinders, he got injured a second time or maybe, I don't know, maybe it might've been the third or fourth or fifth time, but like the second major time, I think. And then since then we've only seen him play like, I think three games. So, so he did it just enough to gaslight me into thinking <laughs> that I had a reasonable argument when the rest of the world sees it as like, no, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not possible yeah, for him. For like know. one day, <laughs> his rolling average was at the point that it would qualify for this. And if he stayed healthy, maybe it would have continued. But he ended up at 2.3. 
which not not is there. not not three. There. No, no, that's and three blocks a game is a bold prediction. There's mm-hmm. even that you know the blocks per game leader doesn't always average three per game in the NBA. Yeah. So, uh, whatever, that's fine. I'm just. Can we finish the season <laughs> right now and never talk about it again? I realize there's one game left. We haven't talked about the games this week. Do you care if THT scored 40 points against the Warriors? I was surprised. I, he went, what did he go to yesterday? Like four for 19 or something? Like, if you give him the yeah. volume, he's going to have a couple games that he puts up crazy numbers. It, and it's, I don't know. It, to me, it's like if, if we have like a five or six game stretch of like the Lakers just playing the young guys and leaning into like what you were talking about on our last pod. And like one of them, mm-hmm. THD goes off, or two of them, he goes off, and the other like four or five, he doesn't. It's kind of like just like what Russ was doing this year, where like several games, he's gonna you know put up a great performance, and then the others not so much. So I need you need the consistency with it. It's more gaslighting. Yeah, yeah it's what a way <laughs> like for the Lakers to finish the year with Russ on a pretty high point offensively, and then for THD to both start the season and then end the season with some like glimpses of what he could be is so aggravating and i'm gonna try not to overreact to it but like if he can get anywhere close to what he did the other night on any sort of consistent basis his trade value is back and the lakers are back in business in terms of trading him or on court value through what he provides but the consistency is the key thing he can do it we've seen him do it he needs to be able to do it more than like once every three months or something like that yeah so I'm happy. I'm not playing super, paying super close attention to the games. Uh, I've transitioned to off season, and now I get to watch my Mets rip my heart out in some some way. They'll figure out a way this year. But uh, nice. I'm yeah, I agree with you. Let's let's end the season and never talk about it again. Okay. All right. We'll be doing that as soon as this pod ends. Tam. Uh, who do we have to thank this week? Uh, we have a great community of people in the Discord who support us at various tier levels. Like you were saying, it's like the upper bowl and the lower bowl. And then there's the, the owner's box. There's different levels you can support us where we try to give a little bit extra content and uh, engage with you guys. And there's going to be a lot of research to do for this upcoming off season, a lot of speculation, a lot of sources say, I'm sure we'll be popping Mm -hmm. off as we start to, you know, DM these people where they're going and what's happening. And, you know, all these people get their, their, their dirt on (laughs) out on the world and the rest of people to try and save their jobs. There's a lot going on behind the scenes that we haven't put publicly on the pod because we retain that value for that internal community slash like I don't want to be aggregated into some big article about something right. and, and then have to like, you know, have that on ESPN or something because of the crazy stuff we're hearing about. But yeah, lots of really good work, a lot of really good discussions, a lot of really smart people, um, people that are on top of some of these things, people that are like helping shape my talking points almost because they've got great ideas. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, no one else is talking about this. We need to be talking about this. Um, but yeah, the fantastic community over there. Uh, so shout out to, and we've had a couple people recently join some of our higher levels as well. So I, I, I need to go grab their names, but uh, shout out to Mike H for being an arena sponsor. We've got Zach Harris, Q Daddy O, iPod Shuffle in the owner's box along with, a few other folks that I think just joined like in the past couple of days. So shout out to you as well. 
I can't. I'm not going to grab that on the fly. Um, but for every, we'll get you next time. Yeah, we we'll appreciate you. Next you. time, we've been churning out some good content, some bonus pods. Uh, I've had. We were slow because of March Madness, but have caught up since then on the X's and O sessions. So we talked about beating drop coverage. And here is like if you're attacking a team playing drop coverage, here's the short list of of like I think like ten concepts to use to do so. Here's why they all work the types of personnel you would want for each of them to make them work. And from that, it, it's the menu to choose from to be successful against drop coverage. Did the same thing against catch hedging. Here are, I think, a dozen concepts that work really well and how I prioritize using them, why they work, and what kinds of personnel you want. If you, if you have a really good driving guard, use these ones. If you have a really good pick and pop big, use these ones. If you have good, you know, the, the screener isn't a good shooter, you know, don't use those, use these instead. So like all of the different things group together in a way that like there are certain types of concepts that work against both drop and catch hedges. There are some that work with both showing and recovering and catch hedges. And like, so really trying to set you up as a consumer for success to learn and be able to apply these concepts and see the game at a different level and go beat the hell out of your friends and pick up basketball and 2k and you know coach the hell out of teams you might be coaching so that's been a lot of fun that has been available tim it's like i just want to say it's like you know when the priests used to be the only ones who can read you're teaching the people how to read the holy bible <laughs> basketball that's right that's right it's it's gonna change. You're teaching the, game. the people how to read no one's the game. Teaching it like this. No one's like, I see what else is out there. I don't think people are putting it together the way that we're putting it together. And it should. I mean, I've I've been f- workshopping this stuff for years, and and we're at the point now that mm-hmm. like this is the way I'm pitching it to when I'm talking to college teams, when I'm talking to pro teams. Um, this is how you can like unlock the way you see the game. And be able to not just say, oh, there's a play. Because you can you can find a lot of Twitter accounts that are going to tweet out a play and say, here's a play. It's called, you know, fist banana. I don't know. Um, but now you can get to the point where you understand either that was a good play or a bad play and why. Or maybe it was a bad play against this defense, but it would have worked really well against that defense. So it's, it's a whole different level. That is over at the courtside level. Um, recently, we have added uh, – let me see. So – in the owner's box as well, Romario has joined us there. Um, so shout out to him as well. But that's been that's been fantastic. That's been a great community. So go join us and you can get to that by going to the link in my Twitter bio or by DMing one of the two of us or the podcast account with a five-star review of the pod. If you do that, we can get you in there. Um, yeah, let's go have some fun. It's going to be great. This offseason, okay. there's going to be – last offseason, we went through every single team – and what they might do and why and like dug into the salary yeah. cap super deep and free agency and trades and like yeah. nailed a lot of it as, as much as you can expect. Oh yeah. Um, so that was a lot of yeah. fun. You aggregate the reports and you know, you use some common sense mm-hmm. and talk to beat writers for other teams on what they would be interested yeah. in. And you get another person there to talk to and bounce ideas off and mm-hmm. negotiate. It's like and, we have, you know, uh, after reviewing 30 teams, eight of them need a wing or I don't know, making stuff up. Eight of them need a center a new center. Here's the pool of available centers. And of those eight teams, here's how much spending power they have. 
then mm-hmm. through that we can you know go down and figure out okay where the lakers are with their spending power they'll be able to get someone within this range and that's how we nailed kendrick nunn right. as a as an mle yeah. pick because we looked at who yeah. needs guards how much money do they have to spend and cross off the names we won't be able to afford who's left and then of among who's left who makes sense yeah so it's it's that yeah. kind of work that is just unrivaled it's a community i i've never seen anything like and it's it's so much fun so get over there and join us because we'll continue doing these pods but there's going to be so much stuff happening quickly and i mean by this time next year i'm sorry by this time next season no jesus by this time next week much sooner hopefully much sooner frank vogel may not be the coach of the lakers at this point next week so we may have a very interesting pod coming up but we'll obviously also be having those discussions within that group and we've already started talking through potential replacements and pros and cons of each so there's just a, a whole different level of content that I think is even better than a lot of what you can find with articles and podcasts from from other media sources. Because these are just smart people that maybe they don't want to be content creators. Or we do have content creators in there, like Harrison's in there sharing great stuff, Harrison Fagan. Um, we've got like Mike Garcia's talk draft stuff with people. Um, Raj has been in and out of there. Like th- there are a number of different people in there, you know, part of that community as well. So hop on in and have some fun with us. Um, Tim, I'll make you a deal. If you send your like, uh, consulting package to genie at Lakers.com, <laughs> I will buy you all of the white American tacos you can eat. I'm going to have to take you up on that. It's just a cold email. I do not know. So people do not email or do email <laughs> that address. I'm just they, making so a joke. You know, but, a little inside secret, the Lakers email structure is very standard. <laughs> So if you can, if you oh, can no. find one of the emails, I might have to edit this. Out. <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is the case with like every comp- most companies. It's usually like yeah, that's why I was first joking. It's like the most basic shit. first name. Like yeah. I don't know. Like I'm not saying anything yeah. you know groundbreaking here. Uh, but if someone really wants to reach out to somebody, they can probably figure out how. But I don't know. Yeah, I'll send. Hey, Jeannie, you don't you you probably don't know who I am. I've worked with, you know, Redacted and Redacted and Redacted to help with Redacted. <laughs> and, you know, my name is Cranges McBasketball. <laughs> Don't click on my Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, let's put this team behind us and look forward and uh, hopefully get a little bit more pep in our step, go, you know, this coming season. Uh, until next time, talk to you later. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.